The topics and opinions expressed on the following show are solely those of the hosts and their guests and not those of W4WN Radio, its employees, or affiliates. We make no recommendations or endorsements for radio show programs, services, or products mentioned on air or on our web. No liability, explicit or implied, shall be extended to W4WN Radio, its employees, or affiliates. Any questions or comments should be directed to those show hosts. Thank you for choosing W4WN Radio. Radio Tony with Tony Lontis, author of Resilience, memoir of a broken little girl discovering a woman of strength and beauty. Available now on Amazon.com and in all good bookstores. Radio Tony. Your safe space for tough conversations, exposing secrets and talking about trauma and recovery. Radio Tony. Building resilience. Talking Trauma. Radio Tony. Live from the Gold Coast, Australia. Radio Tony. On W4WN, a platform for the unheard. Good evening, America. Good morning, Australia. And welcome back to Radio Tony. You're listening to Tony Lontis Live, and this show is Spotlight on the Authors. We have two authors. We've got Greg back from last week to answer a few of your listener questions. And later on, we will be introducing you to the gorgeous Denny Meek and talking all about her new book. So, Greg, good morning. How are you? Fantastic. Thank you, Tony. Already pumped up. I had another little injection of Rebel Yell while I was waiting to come <laughs> online, so I am pumping. <laughs> uh, listeners, we've just had the biggest laugh with our technical producer, Rebel, before we come live on air, and I've still got tears running down my eyes from laughing to the pair of them before the show. But quickly, let's get on and answer some of your questions from last week, Greg. And I'm really appreciated, really appreciated that you had time to come on and answer our listener questions from last week. So the first one is writing not a real job. Great question. Yeah, well, I actually think writing is very much a real job. If you uh are fortunate enough to uh, love something you do and turn that into a career, it certainly can become uh, full-time for uh, anyone. And obviously, I would definitely think if you think of all your big favourite authors, yes, it's full-time. How much writing they do during a day is also a debatable comment, but uh, most writers, if they're going to be called a writer, will at least write every single day um, and uh, dedicate whatever, one, two, three hours uh, towards that writing. But uh, I'm certainly thinking that you have to be full-time, particularly on the bigger guys, because they're out uh, doing interviews on television yeah. so and morning breakfast. And, of course, the lucky ones, they're on Radio Tony. <laughs> oh, thank you so much, Greg. <laughs> now, this is a really good question. When yeah. did you start writing? It's a great question because I know the story behind it. Yeah, well, I started writing uh, in February, March of 2015. But mentally, I had started writing about 30 years prior to that. And I always, as I said, had that desire to be a writer. I did write um, articles and blog posts for a number of years. So I tuned up my writing kind of skills, albeit uh, somewhat different kind of format, um, yeah. I said during the 30 years, but I needed uh, an, an extra crutch to get going. I had procrastinated for so long and I woke up uh, in 2015 in January and said, I'm going to do it this year. I had been inspired by some other stories that I had seen and I joined a writing group and they gave me the support and structure and the, the feedback and the comments and the love and all those kind of things that I uh, needed to get started. So the answer to the question is March 2015, so um, I'm about uh, a month away from hitting my sixth year. That's really awesome, Greg. There's something about making that decision. Um, I hear it often from writers that sometimes it just takes, I'm going to do this this year, and actually attaching action to yep. that writing dream. That's, um, that's the key, I've action. Heard, yeah. <laughs> 
Action is absolutely and, – and it doesn't have to be big action. It might be just you start writing for 15 right. minutes every yep. morning yep. and you start doing that most Gen- of the time. Generally. That's enough to create action. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Now, Greg, um, one of the listeners said, um, I heard you need to read to be a good writer. What are your thoughts on this? Great question. Well, I, I think that's pretty much true. I think you do need to be uh, – a good reader or a decent reader. Um, I must say that I'm probably not in the camp. I think I follow a fair bit of what males are like. Males are not the most dominant readers of, of the genders. Uh, women seem yes. to read a lot more. Um, and men have a tendency, I would think, to read more nonfiction. So, you know, they want to read how to build their business bigger or they want to know how to market uh their business or something to that nature. Um, if they get the, the extra time and whatever, um, they, they certainly sit down and read fiction. But um, yes. I think also in, in saying that, it, you can not so much learn it, but you can be more observant. You can certainly take courses in writing uh, to help improve that along. But reading definitely does help and gives you, a, you know, some good structure of, of what to write. It gives you a bit of a broader perspective of what the, yeah. the more that you read, it yeah. gives you a broader perspective of, of what people might be interested in reading. Yeah, and 100%. Now, yeah. yeah. So, Greg, um, we answered this a little bit last week, but we'll answer it again this week. Why did that – what did that jump do for you and what made you do it? And I guess that's in referral to your decision in 2015. Mm. As I said, the decision was that I had procrastinated for so long and I just made up the decision that I was going to do it and that was it. Nothing was going to stop me. I threw rhyme and reason out the window and I just got started. And as I said, you know, I made a lot of mistakes at the beginning and get going and all that, but I, I did have a, a support group and structure around me to help me along the way and keep going. But one of the great things that I did learn is that um, – and the biggest fear, I think, with people before they start writing is, am I good enough? Will somebody yes. read my work? Will they look at it? Will they laugh at me? Will I ever make any sales? All that kind of stuff goes. It's that self-doubt that we have in so many aspects of our lives, and writing is, is just one of those as well. But uh, the, the fantastic thing of being in, the, in that support group is that uh, a group of people in there said to me that I was not writing or a literary professor, like a, an Oxford yes. professor. I'm writing to entertain readers. And uh, yes. when I heard that, it just threw off all the shackles. And I said to myself, that's right. Even if I write and I just get one fan, hopefully that fan would be Tony Lontis, but if I was lucky enough to get that one single thing. <laughs> it was fan, indeed. <laughs> uh, then I would be a writer and I would have an audience. And uh, as I said, it's surprising. Um, now, five or six years later, I have tens of thousands of uh, email reader subscribers and my books sell in those sort of numbers all the time as well. So there, there are people out there. If you're wanting to, to write, my suggestion is start. Yes, and there's something about the momentum of writing and obviously I know how passionate and enjoyable you find that process. So it was the getting started was the hard bit. Now you get to enjoy that process of writing and I know how passionately you enjoy it. Yeah. Um, Greg, why did you decide to have a pen name? And, of course, your pen name for listeners who weren't listening last week, Greg Reed is C.T. Mitchell, the crime, mystery, thriller, best-selling author on uh, across the world. So why did you decide on a pen name? Again, uh, the writer group said I could go one or two ways, use my name or use a pen name. Um, I've always struggled with my own name uh, in the sense that I say Greg Reed, and if I don't say it clear enough or succinct or whatever, everyone thinks I'm saying Gregory, and they still often have to correct yes. that. The second thing I found is that, and a good suggestion is that you need to have a name that sometimes resonates with a particular genre. And even though I don't yes. write young adult fiction or anything like that, the name Greg is an old name, and it just doesn't. Uh, gel with um, 
you know, young adult fictions, a, a, a Travis, a Josh, that kind of name would be a, a lot better and, and, and get a lot more uh, traction. Uh, and secondly, um, you have the ability either to go with a, your first name or some initials. And I chose yes. initials based off the fact that I could um, remain anonymous. Uh, no one knew yeah. what, who CT is. Is that male? Is it female? Um, yes. And I could therefore, if I wanted to at one stage, move into various genres like romance and, um, yes. and obviously mystery. And uh, as I mentioned last week, the story came about by putting my three children's names together, Calvin, Taylor and Mitchell, and C.T. Mitchell was born, and it's the books are a legacy to them as I uh, depart this earth one day. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Now, Greg, we are all <laughs> we are just about out of time already. Now, okay. I've got one more question. <laughs> we talked a little bit about self-publishing, and um, we talked last week about that for a lot of people, self-publishing is mm -hmm. the way to go. I did mm -hmm. it. You've done it. Our next author that we're talking to, Denny, has done it as well. Yeah. Um, but before we go, I actually wanted to quickly get you to um, let the listeners know about the contest – contest and i'm sure you have the winners did you want to quickly mention that and i whilst you do that i'm going to pop your details up in the chat box for the okay. listeners to connect with greg and his books and ask him any questions that you'd like yeah absolutely um so very very quickly uh, as denny is about to come on and tell you her story as well self-publishing gives you the platform now to get your books into the marketplace amazon by country mile is the biggest platform in the world uh, and uh, you now have the opportunity, if you want to write, to get on there and, and put up your book. Um, there are plenty of services that are around that will help you put your book in the right format, uh, whether it be for a Kindle or whether you're going into print format. Um, you can find these services just by Googling it, or if you're wanting to look at an economic um, transition, you could always look at for somebody on, on, the, uh, on the service called Fiverr, F-I-V-E-R-R, -R, two R's. Dot com, and uh, you'll be helped out. But whatever I'm saying, please give it a go. Follow in our shoes, follow in uh, Denny's tracks who are about to come on. And lastly, the contest. I mucked up the link last week. <laughs> Old boys, good on technology. So I, have the, I did fix the link last week, and as a added benefit, I was giving away one book and five uh, digital downloads. I've doubled that. You can now get two signed copies. And I'll post them anywhere in the world, and I'll give you 10 digital uh, downloads for the next 10 people I pull out of the hat. So once again, Tony, thank you so much. I love being on your show. I'm going to hang around and listen to Denny. I know she's got a great story coming up as well. So thank you once again for having me back. Thank you so much, Greg. Now, listeners, I have the divine pleasure of introducing you to my next author, Denny Meek. Now, at the age of 22, with a degree in psychology, Denny Meek stepped into the life that she had planned, where fate was waiting. A chance encounter directs her not towards a brilliant career in the professional world or a happy home life, but to a huge world of experiences that would challenge her inner world and its resources, enforcing harsh realities, domestic violence, single parenting, her daughter's anorexia, the loss one by one of her three children. During an introspective 15 years, she streams words into journals, exploring an unfamiliar landscape at the edge of the world where the dragons are. In the words now flood past two million, she completes a diploma in freelance journalism and now it's time to write a book. In October 2020, Denny launched Still Standing, a mother's raw journey from the shadows of loss to the dawning of hope. And I quickly just wanted to read you a little something from the book. Denny Meek is yanked from sleep at 3 a.m. by a loud knocking she opens the door to three police officers. I'm sorry, we need to speak to you, preferably inside. Denny is about to be struck by tragedy, the death of a child, a blow she has now faced three times. Mm. 
Before I get Denny on live in the show, I just wanted to let you all know that Denny and I met back in 2018 at the same author's retreat where we set about on our author journey together. Indeed, I've had the privilege of having Denny at my own book launch in 2019, and I attended her virtual event last year in the midst of COVID-19 when she was trying to launch her book. So it's with great pleasure uh, that I introduce you all to Danny Meek. Um, welcome, Danny. Hi, Tony. Oh, hello, my lovely. <laughs> now, Danny is a beautiful, quiet soul. And I want you all to know today that some of the things that we might talk about in this show will may cause you to have some angst. So this is your trigger warning. This will be a real conversation about all the things that um, Denny has faced. And so this morning I want you to quickly start, Denny, by telling us a quick overview of those things that you've experienced and worked through in your life. And listeners, this is quite a vulnerable place for Danny to express what's happened in her life. And I ask that you uh, listen with empathy and kindness. So over to you, my love. What an intro, Tony. <laughs> that poor woman. <laughs> the poor yes. woman you've described. It sounds like something yes. else. Yes. So <clears throat> uh, it's hard to know where to start. Uh, because all these themes did not happen independently and individually in my life. They crossed over each other in a very messy way. They did. Mm -hmm. And uh, it made it hard to structure the book. Um, I suppose we will start with the loss of my second son. Yes. My second son, Joseph, was eight days old when he was diagnosed with a very rare a heart abnormality that occurred in one in 20,000 babies. Um, at 11 days old, we were told he had to have open heart surgery. Um, we were told that he would not have made it to the end of his second week without it. So the surgery itself carried a high risk <clears throat> and he got through that. So after helping him climb that huge mountain of medical milestones, we were able to take him home aged one month. And we had a happy time at home initially. That was followed by an unexpected deterioration in his health. And at almost... You noticed, didn't, you noticed pretty quickly, Denny, that something was not right. And I did, Tony. Plus the mothers have intuition, yes. don't they? They do, you know? yes. Mm. Yeah, there was, he, he just had a look, you know, and yeah. I, I found afterwards that I tuned into that look in another baby. I saw, I didn't say anything, but I, I picked up a feel for the look of yes. a very sick baby. And yes. Joseph was looking sick to me again. Plus, I'd been in the habit of counting his breathing and his because breathing that was, was fast. That was one of the first symptoms that that baby Joseph has had was that rapid breathing, which then led the doctors to go and find that heart abnormality in the first place. So as a mother, you would have noticed quite quickly, I'm sure. I didn't pick up anything initially. Um, yeah. I actually had a slow leak in the membranes at about 48, uh, 38 weeks during the pregnancy. And yes. I was hospitalised because rest helps to seal that membrane back up again. And yes. then about a week later, it returned. So they decided to induce him. So when you have a slow leak, uh, they can they can develop an, an infection and the baby can be born with septicemia or pneumonia or brain damaged or even dead. So they yes. needed to induce him. <clears throat> and uh, they were looking for, you know, things like pneumonia, which also has a fast yes. uh, breathing rate. Yes. Yes. So that sort of threw yes, them off the track. And that's why it wasn't picked up until he was eight days old. Um, at that point, we were transferred by ambulance to Brisbane 
and went through some pretty horrific hours of testing with him uh, before we were transferred over to the specialist heart hospital in the north side of Brisbane. Yeah, I know so. when I was reading about those early stages of testing when they were trying to work out what was wrong with Joseph, it took me back to my nursing days and how difficult mm. it is as a nurse, um, well, an, an, an empathetic and sympathetic nurse to watch the struggling and, and trauma that surrounds the testing of small babies. Um, and I did. <laughs> And I identified, too, with those um, uh, matronly, like, no-nonsense, no-emotion type nurses as well. Um, All of that descriptive uh, words around the diagnosis of Joseph's heart condition. I want to just touch quickly that in the background of what was happening to baby Joseph, there was also... Uh, You had an older son and uh, you had a husband that was starting to not react in the most helpful ways. So for our listeners, uh, as Denny alluded to in the beginning of the uh, interview, there were lots of things happening. So this was not just about Joe. Joseph's diagnosis and subsequent loss. In the background of this, Denny also has another child that she's trying to look after and a husband who's starting to behave in a way that is not great. Isn't that right, Denny? That's right, Tony. Um, my son, my eldest son, Simon, was 18 months old when Joseph was born. Um, however, he was in very safe hands when we were in Brisbane. He was staying with yes. my parents and he was used to my parents, his grandparents. Um, they were great, fantastic grandparents to all their grandchildren, but they, you know, had an affinity with Simon, especially my yes. dad. And uh, he was yes. in really good hands with them. So I wasn't as worried as I could have been. Um, thankfully. Yes, thankfully. Um, on the other hand, with my husband, there had been a couple of violent episodes um, in our marriage, um, yeah. and two days after the surgery, the impact of it in my husband surfaced in the form of a violent encounter in the motel room, um, resulting in a big row of bruises up my forearm, which is a pretty horrific look for someone who's going through what we're going through. Absolutely. It was shocking. Because for listeners, when you have a tiny baby that is so critically and dangerously ill, your life revolves around being at the hospital and uh, being with your child. There's very little sleep. There's hardly time to eat. And it's incredibly stressful. So add to this that Denny is now experiencing from her husband what we term as domestic violence. And for many of those listeners who are listening today, it seeps in quietly, gradually. So this was not a full-on pattern before uh, Joseph was born. This is a slow slowly elevating pattern of physical and verbal abuse. And I'm quite sure for um, Denny at the time, with her mind so focused on uh, Joseph and Joseph, this was just an additional thing in the background of her life that probably didn't get the uh, energy and thought because she was so consumed by this very sick child. Denny, did you recognise back then, and you were also very young, we, mm. we, you know, 22, 23, that's, that, you know, we're babies at that age, aren't yeah. we? Yeah, I was 25, Tony, and yeah. I'd just like to say that my husband was not verbally abusive to me. Uh, and the it was encounters, just, yeah, it was physical. Just and physical. It, and it yeah. was not common. However, yeah. if it's present, that will affect the dynamics between you. It's, it simmers, sits at the back, and it will affect the dynamics. Yeah. And very serious, um, you know, health crises will impose very serious stresses on a marriage. 
that's and not that that only explains it. Nothing excuses it, but yes. uh, it's just an understanding of what you know, an inside glimpse of what it's like for us. He felt yeah. very bad. He felt terrible about that. Um, but that's what it was doing to him, and that's how he vented yes. it. Mm. And Did you know, you... sorry, yeah. No, you go. Yeah, so an argument will erupt <clears throat> and you're both at your extreme emotionally. You feel like you have no more coping mechanisms and and that's yeah. how it happens. Yeah. Yeah. Denny, did you talk to anyone at that time? Did you feel that you had any support or that you could talk to anyone about it? Obviously, there was some discussion with your husband at the time. Uh no, there wasn't discussion yeah. with my husband at the time. Uh-huh. All our effort was going into was helping Joseph. Joseph. He was in intensive care on a ventilator at that time. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, and I felt, I felt guilty for him that he had parents who oh. were reacting this way. Oh, it's just, it's, it's in. It's- it's a different world inside that world of sick babies. It's a satellite world. I was it's just going to say that, it, it yes, it's very removed from reality and mm. it's very m- removed from normalcy. Mm. Your sole focus, your mm. every breath, your every thought is yeah. around that incredibly sick baby and what's going to happen and what they're going to do for him. So, Denny, um, it's... The the surgery worked in the first instant. It was when it um it came that you had to be readmitted to hospital, and I just want you to quickly tell our listeners if you can what happened. What did they discover was wrong with baby Joseph? They didn't discover Tony. They didn't yes. discover until uh, yeah. I gave permission for an autopsy. So it was still relatively early days in paediatric heart yes, surgery. Uh, they definitely. had been correcting Joseph's very rare condition for about five years. So uh-huh. that's not uh, long in medical terms. No, it is that it's no. not long. At the time, they were confident, and um, yeah, they they did not know to look for it. And actually, his body's response. The rapidity, the rapidness with which his body responded to the surgery <coughs> had not been seen anywhere in the world before. Um, yeah. Yeah. I don't know whether to go and into the technical details, but... Yeah. <laughs> I was actually just going to ask, so so after baby Joseph passed, yeah. what did the autopsy discover about his condition? Um. There was an incision made at the back of the heart, uh, yes. at the back of the left atrium, yes. and it was there that there developed very quickly um, a thick fibrous, a fibrous thickening. Uh, you so know, scar, scar tissue developed. That's yep. correct. And mm-hmm. the scar tissue on his chest, down the front of his ch- chest on the outside, was fine. Uh-huh. You yes. probably know the term overactive fibroblasts. Yes, uh, yes, yep. yes. They're and the so, little... Yeah, little fibres of scar tissue. Um, yes. So there, it was like there was too much of that developing where that incision was made and that incision was the vital uh-huh. one. So it yeah. thickened up to about one millimetre and that's as much as was getting into that atrium and they need more than that. Which, when when you think about one millimeter, you think that that's a tiny amount. But if you put that inside a tiny baby's vital organs, it has a major impact on the way that their heart receives oxygenated blood. And this was yep. the problem, wasn't it? That's Jenny? right. That, the, the size of a baby's little heart baby is about a, yeah, yes. it's about a walnut size. Yes, so it's this, tiny. Mm, but one millimetre was not enough. Yeah. Uh, there, there had yeah. been a, a decent uh, incision made by the surgeon, perhaps uh-huh. about uh, a centimetre or two. I'm not 
I don't remember exactly, but, yes. you know, a very a, a good incision because that was the vital yeah. incision. There were a couple of things done during the surgery and this one was the very vital yeah. one. His, yeah. his body was shut down into circulatory arrest during surgery yes. and yes. so that that incision could be made. And then, as, as we said, there was a good outcome, but unfortunately, uh, that scar tissue, tissue formed mm. and mm. that led to the passing of baby Joseph. Mm. So I just want to quickly, in the aftermath of baby Joseph passing, you're obviously in not the best circumstances with your husband. You have a small other child who, even at 18 months old, loved his baby brother mm-hmm. how do you cope with all of those stresses in that period of time do you remember what you did denny oh tony you just automatically get pulled into survival you know that's yes. what the psyche does it looks after you it doesn't feel like it but that's what it does and it just pulls you down into the day and then into the hours. You know, if I can't get through the whole day, I just need to get through this afternoon. You know, and what yes. are we going to do? Let's read a book to the child and, I don't know, go for a little walk. <laughs> yes. I, I, I've described this to listeners before, but in my deepest, darkest, blackest moments, sometimes all I could do was remind myself to breathe in and breathe out and I only had to do that for the next minute because then there would be another minute and then all <laughs> I had to do was breathe in and breathe out mm. and I and I'm I'm not um, suggesting that uh, I even remotely understand about the loss of a child because I don't but I do understand that depth of despair and grief and where it takes you and your body and how your body reacts in survival mode so that's an enormous amount of things to happen to you before and around the age of 25 but life doesn't give you a break does it Denny (laughs) what's the next thing that happens um, at the end of about four months of separation, my husband and I reconciled and yes. immediately, and I mean that night, I became pregnant with our third child. Um, and we actually had a lovely time during that pregnancy. It was the happiest time of our yes. marriage because we yes. had another start. We didn't know that yes. we were expecting a little girl. Um we were just grateful to be out of that pain and pregnancy hormones soften you and relax you. Oh, wonderful. <laughs> and uh, Simon, we appreciated him more because a death yeah. increases your awareness of our mortality and you, you do have yes. that natural appreciation for a good stretch afterwards. Yeah. So uh, it was lovely at that point. Um, And then what happened after your little daughter was born? Three weeks after, all the difficulty that we had been able to put aside for that lovely stretch insisted on being addressed. And the the tiredness of feeding Mm. 24-7 and uh, new new dynamics to get used to and what does this mean? And it erupted again, uh, another violent encounter, which shocked us both. And it was not what we wanted. Um, We loved each other dearly, my husband and I. But we separated and we we had a, they call it a LAT relationship, L-A-T, living apart together. So we had that kind of relationship for the next couple of years where he would come Mm -hmm. and visit the weekends and we had a lovely time together on the weekends and but then you'd live separately apart during the week and I was a single mother during the week did that keep you safer Denny yes, did you Tony, did you did. feel that I, that kept I, you safer yes I, I want to say no but yes it did it did yeah it did work yeah. but it was not what I wanted uh, in the long term yes. I wanted us to be I wanted to have that family unit I wanted the togetherness of it and what I would call normality. 
Mm, I was just going to say, for those listening, um, Denny and I are, are similar ages and uh, I remember the stigma back then of being a single parent. So for us, and, and I remember this distinctly, there is that desire to be married and to be happily married. I am grateful to say that I don't think that our women today uh, have the same pressure or stigma or shame that uh, Denny felt at that time and that desperate desire to be in a happy relationship. And the other thing to point out is even in episodes of domestic violence, you may still love your partner or husband. The love is 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 still there but the behavior is unacceptable is that a, a reasonable way to explain it Danny for our listeners yep <laughs> yes it is Tony. it doesn't die with a love for a partner doesn't die with a punch yeah or, or or an episode of violence. Not at all. And so there's all of the there's all of that uh, contrary emotion surrounding domestic violence. I know when people say, "Oh, why don't you leave? Why don't you leave?" Well, Danny did leave, and mm. it still happened, mm. and it still didn't work out. So, no, and it, women often leave up to seven or eight times before they can leave. Yes. finally. You know, because the love process. stays. The love yes. stays. And, Tony, I just want to address what, what we've called a stigma. I call yes. it a value. I think that we value mm. the whole mm. unit. And, mm. you know, if we feel that we're not living up to our values, that's for us to process. Um, yes. our, our society is wider. We have a lot yes. more variety in family units now. We have a lot more single parenting and even father. Yes father's doing it which I think is beautiful um, yeah but yeah um, I think that when when domestic violence is playing a part I, I can only really speak for my experience back then yes there were yes, a yes. lot of questions that were left with me to consider yes and the, all yes. the responsibility it felt was left with me you know do I, I keep, do, do it, I keep holding hope yeah can he learn not to be violent? Can is this, he is change? Can yes, he can he change? And to, you know, work on his behaviour. Yeah. Can, can we or, get to the root of what tips this violence into violence against you uh, or, or the, woman, yeah. the the female partner? Yeah. It, it's a very complex uh, crime, deeply interwoven with a whole range of psychological feelings, values and beliefs. Incredibly yes. complex. And and if this is the episode that, that turns things... We'll kill you. Yeah. yeah. Or is it the yeah. one where he might turn around? Or do I yes. involve the police? Do I take out an ABO? Yes. Or is this the time I leave? Do I uproot us? Where do we live? What about the children's yes. schooling, daycare, their neighbourhood friends, so all of our much. other connections? Yeah. Yes. yes. And, and all you want and is just for the violence to stop. That's all. You just... I was just going to say that's all you want you just want the violence to stop the other thing to note is for our listeners that the most dangerous crime for a woman and her children to leave a man in these circumstances is the immediate post leaving period that's when many 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 women lose their lives isn't it denny yep yep um, I quickly, sorry, I'm quickly looking at the time and there's other things that I really want to run through. But um, for the listeners, for the listeners, there, Denny's book describes um, and writes really vulnerably about these situations and how they impacted on her. The book is interspliced with uh, uh, segments from her own journals and diaries, which makes it even more um, amazing to read and it's not a story of uh, happiness and light although the end is happy and light because I know Denny now and she is an amazingly beautiful strong woman but her book canvases the domestic violence instances and it goes on to describe that uh, once she removed and got through her first marriage there was a second episode 
episode of um, a partner domestic violence situation. It then travels forward in time to discuss um, the the role of her parenting and how beautifully she parented her remaining um, children. And then we start to talk about the loss of the next of her children and then the loss of the last of her children. And I don't want to spoil the reading of the book for those listeners who might want to read this powerful account of Denny's life. I would really like to know what led you into the publishing of your book and your decision to write because it must have been a difficult one, Denny. Yes, Tony, could I just please uh, make a correction about my story? I have had four yes. children, not three. Yes. And yes. so I still have my a child. My apologies. No, that's okay. Yes. No, it's okay. And uh, I wasn't sure. I, I was trying to be a little protective and cognizant that your uh, remaining son is very yeah. much alive and thriving. He certainly is. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he is. He's great. <laughs> so, and so, yes, so that moment when you decided that you wanted to write about this incredibly difficult life and story. Yeah. That um, that was not a hard decision and it was not a long decision. Yeah. It, was, it was made in yeah. an instant. I, awesome. Yeah, it was made in an instant. Getting there was a different story. It took yes. a lot longer to get the book out yes. of me because it involved the processing of a real lot of grief and yeah. unusual grief circumstances in a developed country. Um, yeah. There are there are not a lot of people you come across who've lost, you know, multiple, had multiple losses, lost several children. Yes. So <clears throat> in that isolation, it was, it was the whole process was hard. Life yes. was just very, very hard for a very long time for me. And yes. um, the isolation I found one of the most difficult parts of it. Yes. And the isolation yeah. comes for lots of reasons, one of which is that there is a stigma about suffering. Yeah. There is Absolutely. Not, we don't allow space for pain and we do not like the subject of death. It's no. considered amongst some circles to be bad manners to even talk about it. <laughs> yeah. So there was nowhere. But it's where so, it, it, that that talking and um and and giving light to the darkness is such an important part of the process and uh, ultimately why I'm so delighted to have you on the show is that we need to be giving space for the healthy discussion of grief and darkness and depression. Mm. Grief is an overarching uh, loss that needs to be processed. And I quickly just wanted to add that at the end of Denny's book, she talks about uh, what grief looked like through the centuries and how in, at the turn of the century, if a woman lost her, her husband, she was given four or five years, was it, Denny, mm, to, to grieve mm. that? Yes. We don't do that now. It's just like back and get on with life. Well, mm. no. Grief mm. is a process, and mm. if you don't walk through that process, you don't get to the other side, do you, Danny? I don't think so, Tony. I don't. I don't yeah. Think so, um, and grieving is not the enemy; it's the healing. No, you know? it is the healing. Yeah. yeah. So back a hundred years ago, they were allowed to dress in black, or men would wear a black armband, or you would have a, yes. a, a mourning brooch that contained a lock yes. of hair of your loved one. And so there were yes. visible signs that a person was grieving and let's respect this space. Um, yes. So by, by mid-century, by the 50s, it had reduced down to six months. And by the beginning of this century, it was reduced down to three days. More than 90% of companies would give you formal bereavement leave of three days. Now it's two. Yeah. See, that, there's no way that the human psyche can process grief in two days. And right. if you don't process it, 
it re uh, it impacts on your life in a whole range of ways, doesn't it, yeah. Danny? Yeah, yeah. It it wants its time. It deserves it its time. It's just the Absolutely. flip side of love, you know. It's just it's just the sign of having loved somebody. It's it's one and the same. It's just the difficult side yeah. of it. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, mm. So the, body, the, book the body beautifully do it. Mm. No, that's right. Your book beautifully describes a lot of these very difficult subjects and challenges that you faced. Why did you decide to write about it at all? I decided I remember where I was in my house when the thought popped into my head um, uh -huh. about writing the book. It was about a year after my eldest son died. That was the second loss I had and my eldest son yes. Simon was 18 um, and I just had the thought, I'm journaling so furiously and describing what I'm yes. feeling. Bibliotherapy was a big help to me at the time, reading books about other people's yes. losses. And I thought, yes. if I can do this for other bereaved parents, yes. that might help them a little bit. That would make me feel a bit better. You know, it would make me feel like my losses weren't all wasted and I could I could share it and help other people. Yes. So because, as you said, Denny, there's not a lot of uh, people that suffer multiple griefs and multiple passings of children mm -hmm. as, as your story. So I'm absolutely passionately sure that this book was meant to be written to help mm -hmm. those parents who've suffered similar to yeah. what you've um, suffered. I agree with you, Tony. <laughs> I don't know what that meant to means, but I do have that feeling about it. Mm. Yeah, yeah. We are um, quickly running out of time. Denny, can you tell our listeners quickly um, the the name of the book, where they can get it? I'm going to put those pop those connections into the chat box for everyone to see, but I'm going to let Denny tell you um, where you can find the book, the full name um, and where it's available. So the book is called Still Standing. The tagline is A Mother's Raw Journey from the Shadows of Lost to the Dawning of Hope. And it's available from the book's landing page, which is www.dennymeek.com.au. Denny Meek is spelt D-E-N-N-Y-M-E-E-K. And they're also in the chat box for anyone to um, connect with um, Denny's book. Um, I wanted to end uh, the show on one of the quotes that I loved the most in the book because I identify so absolutely with this. <laughs> and it's the one about chocolate. Can you tell our listeners the chocolate quote, please, Danny? Yeah. My quote is... Chocolate isn't my weakness, it's my strength. <laughs> and, Tony, there's no real story behind it. <laughs> except no, I, <laughs> no, I just, I, I love it. I, I think that um, for me, uh, chocolate was and still is one of my absolute pleasures in life. And there's something about chocolate that in that moment makes everything better. <laughs> and um, I, I, I'm sure that there are those um, people listening going, oh, my God, chocolate, chocolate, chocolate. But I find that chocolate is a uh, divine delight of my life yes, yes. Um, and it helps the, everything bad uh, yes. become good. There's Before no we run out of time, planet. no, it's that's one of our right. Mechanisms. Absolutely. <laughs> So um, I'm also listeners, um, Denny's got an amazing clip from YouTube. I'm going to put that up in the chat box for you to jump on and have a look at. But before we run out of time, Denny, what's the journey like, been like so far and what do you want to accomplish in 2021? Well, the feedback I've had from people who've read my book has been interesting. Um, some devour it quickly and they really get all the different levels of the book. They love it. A few have found it a bit intense and I'm just as interested in that, you know, and to try to Absolutely. establish the patterns. Everyone reads a different book. I was um, going to say that 
would be my experience too. And I actually think retrospectively that some of those reactions from the readers is um, not so much about what you've written, but what it highlights in their own lives That's that right. they may not have dealt with mm-hmm. or healed from. Mm. Um, because I exactly I read Denny's book and have read Denny's book and I think it's a powerful testament to what a human soul can walk through and thrive after um it it, it's quite um vulnerable and difficult but all it brought up in me was an intense love for this for my friend Denny and what she has been through. Um, And I think that her strength of character in actually having the courage to write in the way that she wrote is so powerful. And I, for one, encourage you to jump on, grab a copy of Denny's book and have a read about the power of human of this human soul to triumph over monumental um difficulties in life denny um i've got we've got like 50 seconds but the cover of your book is beautiful can you please quickly tell our listeners the significance behind the cover because it's beautiful sorry my son's graveside service my eldest son's service I read aloud a children's story about dragonflies and when we stepped back from under the gazebo to release helium balloons after that between me and my balloon flew a dragonfly so they became very very significant in our lives and that's my favorite photo that one I think it, it child looks like he's looking into other dimensions absolutely Denny Meek, we are completely out of time. What an absolute pleasure to have you on Radio Tony Spotlight on the Authors. Thank you so much for your time. Thank you for vulnerably sharing with our listeners your powerful story. And just a reminder, people, jump on and grab a copy of Denny's book, Still Standing and read about her courageous story. I've also popped up all the links to Denny's socials. Jump on Connect and connect with this amazing woman, you will be glad you did. Danny Meek, thank you so much. Thank you, Tony. Thanks. And listeners, that's our lot for this week. I'll be in trouble from Rebel in a moment if I don't get you off air. Danny, much love. Um, over to you, Rebel. That's all for this week. Bye for now. Radio Tony, your safe space for tough conversations. Exposing secrets and talking about trauma and recovery. Radio Tony, a platform for the unheard. Radio Tony. With Tony Lontis, author of Resilience, memoir of a broken little girl discovering a woman of strength and beauty. Radio Radio Tony. Available now on Amazon.com and in all good bookstores. Radio Tony. Back next Thursday from 7pm Eastern Standard Time, live from the Gold Coast, Australia. Mom!